so as uh, before we begin our, our teaching this morning, I want to um, just quickly address the the things that are going on in the land of Israel. Excuse me, let me grab this. I don't know why I have a stool. It's not like I ever sit down. But I would like to address uh, the things that are going on in Israel as of late. Um, Those of you that are a little bit older, you know that uh, these things have happened for a very, very long time. Uh, This is not a new thing. Um, This is not just something that all of a sudden happened because this person was elected or because this or that happened. Uh, this is uh, the Israeli-Arab conflict is something that has been going on for generations and some would even say even all the way back to uh, you know biblical times and characters in the Bible uh, which I can understand that case being made Um, however it does feel not only here but also in the land it does feel different this time um it it feels it feels different is is what I've been told, um, and I um, just want to give my an hour um, complete uh, unequivocal support for Israel and the Jewish people not only to be a solemn nation but also to defend themselves at any and every cost. We unequivocally support Israel's right not only to exist, but to defend itself um, and to make sure and secure the safety and liberty of its people, period. Um, Anyone who does not agree with that, then you don't need to be attached to this ministry. There are plenty of other places where you can go and still love God and still follow Jesus and still pursue the Torah and hate Israel. But this is not one of those places. There are other congregations. There are other congregations you can be a part of. Um, Again, not only Christian, but Messianic, Hebrew roots that do not believe that the Jews in Israel today are truly Jews that do not believe that Israel should exist this is not one of those places and we will stand for Israel and with Israel period no matter what that means because the church we the nations have not in any way shape or form replaced Israel superseded Israel become more precious to God than Israel and God's plan for creation does not hinge on his workings with the nations God's plan for creation hinges on his dealings with Israel let me say that again God's plan for creation does not hinge on his dealings with the nations. His plans for creation, his work in creation, hinges off of his dealings with Israel, period, full stop. 
That does not mean that you and I are second-class citizens. It does not mean that we are the red-headed stepchildren of the kingdom. What it means is that there are a people whom God chose when He could have chose anyone else, any other nation. And He rescued them. And He gave them, He entrusted His character and His ways to them. We would not even know of Hashem, the God of creation, Yodevavhe. We would not even know of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of the heavens and the earth, would it not be for the perseverance of the Jewish people. And our way to Hashem is through them. And if that offends you, turn me off. But the truth of the matter is that the Jewish people, the state of Israel, are the gatekeepers of Hashem. He is their God. We as the nations have the incredible, breathtaking privilege of joining their faith and joining their covenant and learning from them what the God of all creation entrusted to them requires of those who follow Him. And so, whatever may develop in the next days and weeks and months going on in the land of Israel, we support Israel's right and decision to preserve their people and their faith because if you remove Israel from the picture of faith then the nations have nowhere to look sadly in much of Christianity we're already there the church has taken Israel out of the picture as the center of the wheel. They've taken the Jewish people out as the authority as is spoken of in the prophecy in Genesis and, and the, the, the lawgiver and the scepter not departing from the, 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 between the feet of Judah. The church has already taken Israel out of the picture. Thus, all the chaos in the church world in Christianity and why Christianity is dying it's because it's been detached from the root and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about a mental reckoning that, oh, Israel's a thing and God loves the Jewish people. I'm talking about a submission. That's a hard word. But I'm talking about a submission to the authority granted to the place of Israel as the covenant people. And as I said last week, if any rabbi ever wants to walk in this building and tell me to sit down when I'm teaching Torah, I would be more than glad to acquiesce. We are preparing and we're working with Hanok on some uh, strategic places in Israel we can begin supporting. And not only ministry, not only OAM sending money to places in Israel, but I also want you individually to have a, li a, a list of places that you can pray about, that you can research, that you can look into and see where God would lead your heart to give. 
literally $10 a month, $5 a month. Well, I, don't, I can't give a lot. It doesn't matter. Children, the elderly, are suffering. And they need our help. And so I, I, I just want to make that statement and make sure that everybody is on the same page. That's kind of a pastoral statement that I feel like I have to make, that everyone is clear where I stand and where we stand um, as a people. And again, you can disagree. That's fine. I don't really want to hear about it. I'm sorry. Um, sorry, not sorry. Um, and so there is a, a, a prayer that is circulating, and, and I, I didn't have time to put it on the screen, forgive me, but uh, if you'll just listen along for the IDF, uh, Israeli Defense Force soldiers, many of which are 19, 20 years old, that are school, ready in their lives, Really spend the tears in the IDF and then either re-enlist or move on with life or whatever, become rabbis or become moms and dads or whatever their, their plan is. And all of a sudden, in a matter of a week, they've been thrust into all-out war. Um, and so there's a prayer that's circulating, and uh, I just would like to pray that this morning for on behalf of the IDF. He who blesses Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, may he bless the fighters of the Israeli Defense Force who stand guard over their land and the cities of God from the border of Lebanon to the desert of Egypt and from the great sea to the approach of the Aravah Desert on the land, in the air, and on the sea. May Hashem cause the enemies who rise up against them to be struck down before them. May the Holy One, blessed is He, preserve and rescue their fighting men and women from every trouble and distress and from every plague and illness. And may He send blessings and success in their every endeavor. May He lead the enemies under their sway and may He grant them salvation and crown them with victory. And may there be fulfilled for them the verse, for it is Hashem your God who goes with you to battle your enemies for you to save. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so as uh, we prepare for Shavuot coming up tomorrow evening, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Shavuot. There are many, many dynamics we could talk about. Uh, there's 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 so much. Shavuot is an odd, an odd festival, even within Judaism. In that, um, you, you have a lot of because people are people, right? You have a lot of Christians that are Christmas Easter Christians, right? Hey, listen for for us in South Louisiana, it was even worse than that. My dad w- uh, was raised Catholic, um, but didn't really you know didn't really go or whatever. He wouldn't even go to a Catholic church on Christmas and Easter. But you know when he would go? For a wedding or a funeral. Particularly a wedding, because in South Louisiana, a lot of the weddings back when I was growing up, the receptions were in the, at the Catholic church, the KC Hall. And they allowed drinking, and they allowed dancing, and they allowed bands, and all that kind of stuff. So my, my dad never found himself in church in a religious sense um, until a few years ago, but yet he was there for a party. <laughs> And so 
we have a whole dynamic in Christianity of how people celebrate and how, you know, how, and, and, and since Judaism is not a whole, whole lot different, um, you have uh, Pesach and Yom Kippur Jews, right, um, that really never go to synagogue, and we, we uh, you know, they, they, they certainly don't uh, celebrate Shavuot. It's kind of a weird, it's a day thing, and it kind of comes and goes, and, and, uh, and it's, it, it's really tied to the temple and to an agrarian society where the harvest is important, and, and, the, and those things just really are not a part of modern, uh, modern life, and so it can be difficult uh, to, to understand it. But there are a lot of dynamics to Shavuot and a lot of different ways we could look at it. Um, as, as many of us come to the knowledge of Torah, out of our Baptist Pentecostal, Catholic, whatever background we come from, um, we, we enter an incredibly vast new world, right? How, how many of you um, would consider yourself to have been or are in a place where you still are overwhelmed by this world we call Torah? I'll put hands, feet up. Yeah. 15 years in, and I am still overwhelmed by this, this incredible world that, that we call Torah. We didn't grow up in a Torah-centric tradition, so it literally is a new world. It's a new culture. It's a new language. It's a new perspective. It's all of those things, and there are new things to learn, new dynamics to consider, and, and just, when you, just when you think you've about got your hands around it, it just opens back up again, and Torah has a really a really unique way of tricking us in a way thinking that well Torah is very simple because God laid the instructions out in black and white right it's very simple and the the more simple we try to make things of Torah the more complex we really find out they are looking for one answer you're going to get three or four looking for one opinion you're going to get 15 or 20 and so it, it, this whole world is, is something that can be overwhelming, and it is for many of us. Um, in this search for truth, many people in the world, we find ourselves isolated and divided. And we, our hearts are right, our intentions are right, and yet we can find that we're differing from someone in our own house about how to think about a commandment or a story or a narrative or a character or an idea. And, and this leads to, this can lead to a lot of division and a lot of isolation, a lot of hurt. It can lead to, to people walking away from God altogether. It leads to people walking away from Yeshua as Messiah and from walking away from their, the plan of God and the call of God for their lives altogether. Do you understand and can we understand that this is not God's intention? Isolation is not God's intention. Now I know and there may be people watch, well probably not, but if you've been in the Torah communities at all for any amount of time, you've been on Facebook for any amount of time, in Torah communities, on Torah pages or whatever, you find out that isolation in some in some uh, Hebrew roots folks' life is almost a badge of honor. That the more quirky and weird and out there their beliefs are, 
the more isolated they become, because everybody's going like, you're a nut. The more isolated they become, the more honorable they feel that that is. And can I just say unequivocally, that is not God's intention. I know he says that narrow is the way and there are a few that find it. But I find it, I'm hard pressed to believe that one of those few is, is some ignorant Cajun in the swamp in Louisiana that doesn't know Hebrew and has never grown up in Torah and anything, but has the keys that unlock all of heaven's mysteries. I'm hard pressed to believe that. And so, as we approach Shavuot, um, I, I want to today. I want to talk about something that's that's not missing in our area. We're we're. I hope this helps to highlight how blessed we are and how fortunate that we are to have what we have but probably in the Hebrew roots movement and in the messianic movement maybe one of the most missed components of Shavuot and of Torah altogether and that's of community that's of community and so uh, you can turn if you want to Leviticus 23 we're going to read a bunch in in, uh, in Vayikra 23 uh, through the, the Shavuot uh, commandments. Um, and then I'm going to reference a few other passages just for uh, those of you that are taking notes that want to do some, some more study. Now, Vayikra 23... opens in verse 1 and Adonai spoke to Moshe saying speak to whom? the children B'nai Israel the children of Israel as he begins to, to talk about the celebrations and the feasts he says to begin to speak to the children of Israel the whole nation of all, all of them, right? The whole people. Verse 9, we jump down and we, we start to learn about Shavuot. Verse 9, then Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to B'nai Israel again and tell them, When you have come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you are to bring the omer, or the portion of the first fruits of your harvest, to the Kohen. He is to wave the omer before Adonai to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the Kohen is to wave it. On the day when you wave the omer, you are to offer a male lamb without blemish, one year old, as an olah, a burnt offering to Adonai. The grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to Adonai for a soothing aroma. Its drink offering with it shall be a quarter of a gallon of wine. You are to not eat bread, roasted grain, or fresh grain until the same day, until you have brought the offering to your God. It is a statute forever, everybody say forever, throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Let me stop and clarify something really quickly here. Or a couple of things. 
again, I don't want this to be offensive, but I, I want to expand our thinking a little bit. Who was this spoken to? What is the name of the people that is spoken to? The children of Israel. Now, he goes on, as the verse we just read, this is an eternal or forever statute throughout your generations in your dwellings. In whose generations? The children of Israel. In whose dwellings? The children of Israel. Now, many of us in this room consider ourselves a part of the commonwealth of Israel. I know this gets sticky. I know that it's difficult and it's complex. One house, two house. Many of you don't even know what that means. Good. Don't worry about it. But you and I, very likely, cannot trace our lineage back to one of the people standing here in the desert. Again, doesn't make us any less, doesn't make us an outsider, just the fact of the matter. That also does not mean that we can't participate in the celebration and participate in the celebration of Hashem with the, the people of Israel. But it was given to them for them to be the custodian of it. And so it is a forever statute, but it is for them to protect and to preserve. And so one of the, the things that, that OAM, like it or not, again, like if you don't like a call that I make, you can go somewhere else. It's cool. I don't want you to go anywhere else. Come talk to me first. The only thing worse than somebody leaving a congregation is somebody leaving without saying anything. It's terrible. Don't do that. Have respect enough to come and say, hey, I don't agree with what you said. Can we talk about it? If we can't come to terms, then, then that's okay. But at least let's respect each other enough to do that. But as far as I am concerned... I, nor any of us sitting here, nor any of you sitting behind the camera, behind the, the, the TV or wherever you're watching from, have the authority to tell the people of Israel how or when something should be celebrated. Yeah, but I have her interpretation. You as, absolutely, I love reading scripture and go like, oh, I want to get out of the first. Yes. That's a thing. It's great. And if it's helpful for you, then let it be helpful for you. Let Hashem speak to you. Let the Spirit speak to you through His Word. Absolutely. But don't then use it as a weapon, as a club, to go and tell and speak about the Jewish people and say, well, God revealed this to me, so therefore they're wrong. It doesn't work that way. If God drops something in your spirit, be thankful, be grateful, and, and let it be helpful to you. They are the custodians and the keepers of the statute. Verse 15, he says, goes on to say, Then you are to count from the morrow after the Sabbath, the day you brought the omer, the wave offering, seven complete Shabbatot. So we're talking about the wave offering. This is during the, uh, the, during the week of Pesach. That you bring the, the, the wave offering is of what grain? Barley. Barley is the early harvest. 
Okay? And then immediately after the barley harvest, they start to harvest the wheat. And so until tomorrow after the Shabbat, you are to count 50 days and then present a new grain offering to Adonai. Now we talked about this, the capital S, the little S, how complicated it is, etc., etc., right? Um, so he says in verse 17, you are to bring out of your houses two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two tenths and ephah fine flour. They are to be baked with chametz as first fruits to Adonai. So this is a wheat bread. This is the, the wheat harvest. Uh, verse 18, you are to present along with the bread seven one-year-old lambs without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They will become a burnt offering, an olah to Adonai, with their meal offering and their drink offering, an offering made by fire, sweet aroma to Adonai. Also, you are to offer one male goat for a chatat, a sin offering, or a, a purification offering, and a pair of year-old lambs for an offering of fellowship. The Kohen is to wave them with the bread of the first fruit as a wave offering before Adonai with the two lambs. They should be holy to Adonai for the Kohen. You are to make a proclamation on the same day that there is to be a holy convocation and you shall do no regular work. This is a statute forever in your, gen- in your dwellings and throughout your generations. Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap the furthest corners of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Rather, you are to leave them for the poor and for the outsider. I am Adonai, your God. So, we have the common name that we use for Shavuot. Shavuot is the plural for weeks, right? Seven weeks, 49 days, 50th day. Septuagint has another name, which is what? The Greek, Pentecost, right? Pentecosta, uh, which just means 50th day. Um, you might be interested to know that there are other names in Scripture for this festival, and each, each of the Moedim has different names. We focus in on one, and we go like, this is what it is. This is what it's intended to be, and this, is, this defines all the characteristics of the feast day. But that's not true. That it, it does go, all the feasts go by different names, and they're all important. So just for your notes, um, we have the festival of weeks, which is Shavuot, uh, Chag HaShavuot. And uh, that's found uh, here, Exodus 34, 22, Deuteronomy 16, 10. Uh, it is also called Hag HaKatzir, K-A-T-Z-I-R, which is the festival of reaping. Uh, and that's in Exodus 23, 16. And it's also called Yom HaBikarim, the day of first fruits, which is in Numbers 28, 26. And this is confusing to a lot of people because in Pesach, the Hebrew Roots uh, movement has named this day Bikarim, which does mean first fruits of the barley harvest. And yet, whenever we go to look on a calendar to say, when is, when is the Bikarim, a Jewish calendar is going to say, well, it's in the summer. And we're going to go, well, yeah, but I thought it was during Pesach. Because, see, we call Bik- we rename stuff, right? And so... Shavuot is actually Yom HaBikarim. The day of first fruits is the name for Shavuot. So meaning weeks or sevens um, happens, of course, seven weeks, a week of weeks after uh, Pesach. So Shavuot is primarily an agricultural festival, right? Has it having to do with the harvest. And this is not any different than any of the nations around Israel at this time. They celebrate the harvest. Harvest 
is a huge deal. Number one, because they're mostly agrarian. They're rural. They're farmers. They're shepherds, right? But also because food is super important to humanity's survival. (laughs) Kind of a big deal, right? There's nothing like... I mean, why do people grow gardens? Because they love pulling weeds? I don't think anybody is like man, I can't wait to plant my garden so, so I can get some weeds to pull. Like, that's not why you... Okay, Sabrina. <sighs> I, I get it. For most normal people, well-balanced, healthy people, <laughs> planting gardens is not why, you know, uh, pulling weeds is not why gardens are planted. Why do you plant a garden? Because you just can't wait until you can pick that first fruit that first tomato or that first use those first set of herbs or or whatever it's the harvest that's so that's so important all the labor all the work all the money listen unless you like are super efficient you really have this thing down nobody saves money by planting a garden newsflash sorry sabrina probably does but most people i know you're not saving a bunch of money by planting a garden, especially if you're a newbie like I am, where you're, you're having to mend the soil and buy stuff. And it's, it's not working. The payoff is the harvest. That's the payoff. All the other stuff can be the sweat, the, the dirt, the, all this stuff can be endured because your eye is on the harvest. And so harvest is a big deal in these, in these societies, just like it is for those of us who live in the country, who grow gardens. It's a big deal. And so there's celebrations around the harvest because Hashem provides rain and there is plenty and there is bounty. And so Shavuot has a huge agricultural component. Again, when you take that away, much of the meaning of Shavuot can get lost. I mean, it's like, oh, well, nobody farms, so it's a big deal. It's not a big deal. Shavuot is also, in Judaism, one of the ways that it has perpetuated and been preserved for us, Baruch Hashem, is that Shavuot is the anniversary of the giving of the Torah. And there is the tradition that when Israel came out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, took them 40 days to get to Mount Sinai, and then there was about 10 days of preparation, and Hashem gives the Torah on Shavuot. And so that is traditionally now more currently in modern in modernity why and how celebrate uh, Shavuot is celebrated because of the giving of the Torah it's also the birth of the nation the nation of Israel gets its constitution on Shavuot and this not may might not be a big deal but you have slaves that are, are struggling for identity they're struggling for where to belong. They're struggling for who they are and, and what, their, what their reason for being is. In a lot of the same way that before we come, to know, we come to know God, that people even today are. The, the biggest issue in most people's lives is really not lack of money. It's really not lack of food. It's really not lack of the car that they want or the spouse that they want or the whatever, what job they're going to have. All those symptoms and all those things are just that. They're symptoms of what I believe is probably the root cause of most of our issues, and that's identity. Most of us have an identity problem. And that doesn't mean 
you know, you can say, oh, I know exactly who I am. And if you do, great, I'm glad for you. But most of us struggle with identity in some form or fashion, some way or another. And when God finds us, he begins to redeem that and restore that identity and teach us who we're supposed to be. And th- so the, these, these nation of slaves come out and they are, they are given this covenant and given the Torah and they are told their identity. They are given their identity. This is, in, in, in Judaism, also thought as of the wedding day. It's the wedding day. It's the time when, when God and Israel exchange the, the ketubah and, and God marries Israel. And what comes directly after a wedding? It's a honeymoon. It's a party. It's a party for everybody, but it's intimacy between the marriage partners. And, and that is what we celebrate on Shavuot. Since Torah is so, the giving of the Torah is so intimately tied with Shavuot, that's kind of what I want to focus on for our purposes today and talk about community. And so, this giving of the Torah, we, we do a little disservice to ourselves whenever we, or how we think about the Word of God. Just simply because most of us have grown up in church we've grown up in Sunday school we've grown up in Bible study we've grown up around you've got 15 Bibles you've got Bibles you don't even know you have you have you have old ones you have new ones you have digital ones you have you got Bibles Bibles everywhere and familiarity breeds contempt not to say that we have contempt against the Bible but we ha- we're dulled to the word of God because it's common for us and that should be a scary thought it should be it should it should shake us a little bit that the word of Hashem is common to us. And you might not think it is to you, but in a lot of ways it is. It's common to all of us just simply because we've had the privilege of having access to the scriptures our whole lives. And that is a wonderful blessing and yet it can come with a with a a pretty severe consequence. And so to have this nation of Israel come out from being slaves and come to this mountain and have their God give them the words of life. Now, other nations, this, Kyle and I have talked a little bit about in teaching how revolutionary the giving of the Torah is to Israel. Because in the nations around them, their God's don't relate to the people like the God of Israel relates to the people of Israel. This is revolutionary in their culture. Because for the other nations, the pagan nations around them, they are subservient to the gods, but there is no relationship. There is no, there is no compassion. There is no letting the people in to know who the God is and what He desires and what... It's a game of kind of like spiritual Marco Polo and a game of uncle kind of combined together what do I mean by that well let's say you're a farmer and it doesn't rain when you need it to and your crop doesn't grow and it just barely produces right well then the God I must have done something wrong to offend the God there's something that, that they must not be happy about 
but I never know what that is and I, and I never really know how to fix it so it's like Marco Polo I'm, I'm just, crops are not growing and, and I've got to throw a bunch of stuff at the religious wall and pray that something sticks and so I go to the temple and I bring offerings and, I, and, I, and we shed blood and we pray and we cut ourselves and we mourn and we weep and we, we do all of these things to try, to, to, try to, to force the God to respond. But I don't know exactly what He wants so we just, there's all of this raucous and all of this, this stuff. And so the, 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 the radical and revolutionary thing is that Hashem lets the people of Israel in and says, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on. I'm going to tell you exactly how. I'm not going to let this life thing be this code, this jigsaw puzzle that you have to figure out. I'm going to tell you, if you do these things, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to tell you, this is who I am from the get-go. I am that I am. I'm going to give you my 13 attributes of mercy. I'm going to tell you exactly who I am. So there's no wondering when something goes awry, what to do or how to do it. I'm going to give you clear and precise instructions for life. Nobody in the ancient world had ever experienced a civilization, a nation, or a deity like this. It just didn't exist read some go google some of the assyrian and babylonian literature from around this time and even earlier you'll find that it is wild stuff you think the bible's wild the bible is super tame compared to some of the other nations that were writing about their deity and their religious experiences at the time it is severely counterculture to the way things were around the nation of israel and god gave the torah to one man and told that one man to go and share it with everyone now God could have if he was li again like the gods of the other nations he could have said hey Moshe you're my guy you're my dude come up for 40 days and 40 nights I'm going to stuff you with my instructions like an ox and then you rule over the people that would have been more because the other nations had this idea of God king right so the king of the nation is also the God in a way Pharaoh in Egypt right all the Pharaohs were gods and their families and all that kind of stuff so this is something very, but what God said he goes tells Moses I'm going to give it to you but I want you to give it to the people so that as a nation as B'nai Israel as a whole everyone is learning who I am together and yes, there is a hierarchy, there's authority, there's accountability, there's supervision, there's all those things. But no one is left out of the learning process. No one is left out of the citizenry of the process. We're told later in the, in the Torah that every seven years, the Torah is to be read aloud for everyone to hear. And reading history about when this happens is cool because you have Levites that are scattered out throughout the crowd while the Torah is being read out loud. And the Levites and the, the elders are sitting with groups of people. And they're explaining as it's being read. 
It's not just a thing where people sit and go like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Somebody, somebody, help. nope, got to keep reading, got to get through this thing. Well, wait, but how do we, nope, nope, too bad, you'll catch it later. There's, there's learning that's happening. There's investment and engagement that's happening inside the nation as the commandments are read every seven years. See, the Torah was given to a nation, not to an individual. It was given to a nation on purpose. God did it that way on purpose. The Torah cannot be entrusted to one man. It will destroy him and everyone he is responsible for. And, and I, this is not just for the sake of the Torah. This is the entire word of, of God. When the word of God is held up and bound up and its interpretation and its application is held up and bound up in one person destruction is all that follows some of you have been a part of churches where the pastor you had a board but like they didn't really make any decisions you had elders but they didn't really make decisions that one guy or that one woman was responsible for everything and everything flowed through them in and out and they were the once all be all authority and what you end up happening is a person a leader who is twisted and you have a people that are damaged that's the only thing that can result from the Torah being or the word of God being entrusted and solely held in one person. God didn't do it that way. He gave it to a nation. To a community. And so how in the world is it that we come along 3,500 years later And we have this, this, this part of our Bible that we never really paid much attention to. And so we begin to study it and to learn about it. And all of a sudden, it's our truth. It's my truth. This is something that God showed me. And he gave me the authority to interpret it and to, imply, uh, to apply it. How do in all of our study of Torah and all of the YouTube videos that have been made and teachings that have been done and, and, and teachings that we've done, how have we missed this very vital phrase in the, in, in the Torah that appears over and over? God spoke to Moshe, speak to the congregation of Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, to all of them. How did we miss that and think that we can have some kind of isolated journey in learning Torah? Could I suggest that maybe part of the reason why, and again, I know that I'm speaking to a couple different crowds here. Some of you understand when I say Hebrew Roots Movement, you know exactly what I mean. You've been in the Facebook groups and you've gone to Sukkot with different people and you know all of the vast array of different Hebrew Roots or Messianic things that are out there. So you have a break, don't worry about it. I had a conversation with two very people in my life this last week and they're influential teachers and leaders in their own right and this is where I think we are Christianity well let's, let's go back even a little bit Judaism has had a covenant with Hashem the God of creation long before there was ever a Christian way long They preserved in and out of exile. They, they, they have a relationship, although sometimes a bumpy one, with the God of creation. 
but they're, they're always his. They're always the apple of his eye. Out of that covenant comes a man that we call Messiah. Out of that people, out of the preservers of the covenant with Hashem comes a man that reaches and turns his face towards us, the nations, and says, come and be a part of this covenant. He is the one who drew us near. To come and be a part of the existing people and the existing covenant. And yet what happens? We become our own thing. Completely and totally divorced from that original people. And we begin to then interpret their scriptures differently. And begin to look and define their God differently. And then begin to look and, and see Messiah and define Him differently than they would have defined Him. We create this, th- this new thing. And so we have all of their scriptures in our Bibles and yet we don't ever really touch them. And then comes you and I. And we grow up in this new thing. And something incredibly miraculous happens. We have this itch, this fire, this curiosity, this nagging, whatever you want to use to describe it, that says that Wait, there's, there's something we've missed. And so we are foreigners in every sense of the word, and we try to come back to the root. And that is something that only God himself has done. I've said it before, I'll say it again. No man, if you're sitting in this room, or if you're listening by live stream, or later to the recording, whatever, if you or anyone you know finds himself seeking after a Torah lifestyle there's no man that convinced you that that's right because when you start to apply your life to the word of God and mold your life after the mitzvot the commandments of God it is going to cost you more than it's going to cost anyone more than they would ever logically want to pay you don't just up one day and go I just feel like losing all my friends and family today Nobody does that. I feel like having contention at my job from now for forever, fighting over the Sabbath. Nobody just decides to do this. The burning, the, the, the sleepless nights, the hunger, the thirst that you, you eat food and you drink, drink, but you're still hungry and thirsty, that is something that only Hashem has done. Only He has done. The unanswered questions, the nagging, the curiosity, the the passion to want to know is only something that Hashem has done. This is the end time revival that the church has prayed for for hundreds of years. This is it. Beginning in in the 50s and 60s with some of the first Gentiles to go, hey, like there's a thing called the Sabbath and we don't know anything about it. From that time on to now, there's been, there's been 60, 70 years of this messianic movement, this Hebrew roots movement, a, 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 a desire to return back to the original covenant and the covenant people. 
This has been one of the most incredible times in religious history. Unprecedented. And we have aborted it. We've aborted it. We've killed it. The Hebrew Roots Movement is dead. It's dead. We took the last great end time revival, what I believe, a a miraculous move of God where people from all over the world, from all over the world, not connected to anybody, never heard a teaching about the Sabbath, slowly developed this desire to learn about Passover. and They want to learn about Judaism and who are these people? And what have they been doing for the last 4,000 years? We serve the same God. Why don't we know anything about them? This amazing, amazing thing. It saved me. This call that God put in my life and, and these, these, these parts of His Word that I'd never explored before saved me. And as a movement... We've taken this beautiful gift and we've aborted it. Carlton Pearson, some of you may know that name. Carlton Pearson is a, a, a black evangelical leader, very controversial. Um, but Carlton Pearson has a statement that says, he says, every time God has sought to bring revival to the black church, that the black church has aborted it into a civil rights movement. I didn't say that. Colton Pearson said that. He can. But what is interesting about that statement is that those of us feeling drawn to Torah, we've, we've taken the Torah movement and we've aborted it into something else. And I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback if any people who are, who are really militantly Hebrew roots are listening. I know I'm going to get some pushback because several months ago when I said I don't classify myself under the label of Hebrew roots because there's a bunch of nut jobs out there. I got several emails and and nasty comments and messages that week. I get it. I don't care. Because the the truth is that there are individuals who are carrying on that fire to learn Torah and to pursue Torah and to pursue the, the original roots of the faith. There are those people. The movement as a whole is dead. You don't think that. You're not looking around. Look, where are, where are big Hebrew roots, Messianic? Where are the congregations? Where are they? They're not. They don't exist. I know that the Ozark Mountains is like the Mecca for Hebrew rootism. And that's cool. Like, whatever, run to the mountains. I get it. But even there, people are not fellowshipping. They're not together. Everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. There is... God gave Torah to a nation, to a group, to a community, not to a couple of isolated individuals and said, oh, just go like figure it out by yourself. No. As a matter of fact, in Judaism, it is forbidden to study Torah by yourself. It's forbidden. Stop. Time out. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Don't do it because it is dangerous. The very people who God hand chose and said, I'm going to give you all this stuff. 
I'm going to give you my characteristics. I'm going to entrust to you all ev- my essence, everything that I am. I'm giving over to you to be custodians of it, f- to be a light to the rest of the world. Those people who have handled this Torah, have handled this God and, and handled who He is and sought Him and learned about Him for millennia, they said our own people are not allowed to study Torah by themselves. Here I come, Mr. Redneck Gentile from Rose Pine, Louisiana. I'm going to study the Torah. And I'm going to figure it out. I ain't listening to them Jews. Come on. It's funny, but it ain't funny because you all know who I'm talking about. And it ain't one person. It's a whole swath of people that God tried to invest a beautiful, wonderful, miraculous, restorative calling in. And we put it because we won't submit. We won't submit to believe us. Netflix has a, a series called The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I'm kind of a Marvel nerd. Like, I'm not in it, in it. Like, I don't have posters, right? Of a, but, like, I like it. I enjoy it, right? <laughs> Shh. You're not supposed to say anything about my, about my Captain America uh, costume. There's, a, there's a, a quote in one of the episodes... And I and like I and like I cram watched like I you know just what do you call that binge thank you I like I been binge watched them so I don't remember what episode of whatever right but but one of the guys says he says this and I when I when he said it I was like oh, whoa well, hang on he said we're too busy fighting we with each other over who gets to fight the real fight. The Hebrew roots thing, we spend too much time fighting with each other over who is, who is appropriate to fight the real fight. Who is qualified? Who's doing it right? Who is able? Who knows enough? Who, whatever, to, to be able to go out and be the, the, the thing, the standard. We fight, over, we fight with each other so much that most of us don't even ever get to the real fight. Because we can't submit and engage with one another and build a community. I, 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 can't, I can't understand. I can't understand why we have such a hard time being together. And we don't. And again, I hope this helps to illustrate how blessed we are and, and, and how, how wonderful this place is. I told a story last week, I think it was, about a friend of ours who has a congregation that husband and wife couldn't agree on how to pronounce the name, so he moved out. Still married, still live on the same piece of property, don't live in the same house because they can't agree on how to pronounce the name. In Judaism, that never happens. Why? Because it's about community. And it's a danger to study. To Let me ask you this. Show of hands. How many of you are opinionated? If you're not raising your hand, you a daggum lie. <laughs> Let me start calling you out a little bit. No. I'll, I'll get your spouse up here to start calling you out a little bit. 
Every single one of us is opinionated. Every single one of us have, have preferences. Every single one of us is in isolation is going to come to the Torah and we are going to see what we want to see. Are we going to, we're going to see what fits our, what we can handle, what we can understand. I'm not saying that we all come with, with bad intention. I believe most people come to Torah with very good intention. They want to learn. They want to be transformed. They want to be changed. And they want to emulate God more and Messiah more. Yeah, absolutely. And yet, from the study of Torah, you get that the earth is pear-shaped. Right, because it's, it's clearly, it's clearly taught in Scripture. And that, that's an... But see, we come to the Torah in isolation and it becomes very, very dangerous. Now, I believe, and I've said this before and I've encouraged people, you just come out of a church, you just left a church, you're trying to learn Torah, I believe one of the worst things you can do is jump into another a Messianic fellowship or a Hebrew Roots fellowship, if you can even find one. I believe God ordains a period of isolation for when we come out. Of, it's kind of like a detox. When we come out of the church. So that we can get our head around where we are and spend some quiet time without voices, other voices, because we have a propensity to follow. And so we have to kind of get, in six months, year, whatever, we spend a time just kind of trying to feel out where we are and what God is doing in our lives. And I think that's right. And then we're better prepared to be able to join a fellowship or a Bible study group, a home group, whatever. Because we can spot like, oh, no, the, mm, no. Or like, these are people that I think I could, I could get along with. We're prepared for that. And that's fine. But some people never leave that position. They never leave phase. They so enamored, so intoxicated in their own intention that nothing, nothing else ever happens. There's an online article that I, I want to read from. And this is from uh, myjewishlearning.com. And the title of the article is What May, uh, I'm sorry, uh, The Importance of Community Kehila in Judaism. It's no accident the Jewish people call themselves Am Israel, A M Israel. The people of Israel, rather than Dat Israel, are the religion of Judaism. Israeli people, the Jewish people, call themselves Am Israel, the people of Israel, not the religion of Israel, or the religion of Judaism. Big distinction. A sense of peoplehood has long been the defining characteristics of the Jewish people. Accordingly, the essential experience of Jewish history, the only event that demands an annual retelling, is the Exodus from Egypt. Though wrapped up in an encounter with divinity, the Exodus primarily was an experience of national liberation rather than a moment of religious awakening. This, um, this article goes on to talk about the importance of community and starting a community and Jewish community and all, all these, these different kinds of things. It's a fascinating article. I'll link it whenever I post the video. But I want to read from the Talmud. Now, whoever I didn't offend or lose whenever I talked about the Hebrew roots thing, I'm going to lose now. So I'm glad you guys are here. This is in uh, a, a part of the Talmud called uh, Tanit. And this is in Tanit 7. And it says, The Gemara cites uh, the, Gemara, the commentary on the rabbinic decisions. Uh, the Gemara cites other uh, expositions that deal with Torah study. Uh, Rabbi Hama, uh, son of Rabbi Hanina, said, What is the meaning of that which is written, Iron sharpens iron, 
so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Proverbs 27, 17. This verse comes to tell you that just as with these iron implements, one sharpens the other when they are rubbed against each other. So too, when Torah scholars or Torah students study together, they sharpen one another in halakha. Anybody here ever had the wonderful experience of disagreeing with somebody over a Torah matter? Isn't that such a wonderfully delightful and sharpening experience? Isn't it, fant- isn't it edifying and encouraging and don't you grow so much through it? No, you feel like you got your head chopped off and your knees, you feel like, how many of you have ever seen Monty Python, Holy Grail? You, you feel like the Black Knight, right? Just a nub spouting out and still, yeah. See, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen that that iron is sharpening iron. We, you and I, in God's economy, we're supposed to rub together. We're supposed to disagree. That, that's built into God's equation of how humanity works and becomes more like Him. We're supposed to disagree. We're not supposed to be uniform. We're supposed to be in unity. We're not supposed to be in uniformity. That's part of God's economy. It's built into the equation. But let's go get on a let's go get on a forum. Let's go let's go to Sukkot with a group that we don't know. We had that experience a few years ago. It was it was quite delightful. Yeah, that was that was before your time. When you when you walk up to somebody new that you knew that you don't know from Adam, and the first thing out of their mouth is, mouth is not, "Hi, how are you? What's your name? Where are you from?" I'm blah blah. How do you pronounce the name? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Joe, it's pretty easy. Uh, man, I wish I'd have thought of that. God, that would have been a great answer. Maybe that situation would have turned out a little better. No, probably not. But. And then when you don't agree with their secret interpretation... Then all of a sudden you're, you're exposed to a 30-minute thrashing about how you're not saved. I don't know you. Get out of my face. And would I not be such a gentle, sweet, courteous spirit, I probably would have said that. But I took the thrashing and went like, okay. That's not sharpening. Cutting somebody's heart out and making them feel like they, they, they are worthless is not sharpening. It's not, not how it works. There's a reason why surgeons are trained and skilled for years and years and years. They are not the same as a murderous stabber. You could say it's the same thing. They're both inserting metal into bodies the outcome and the method is a lot different. And I feel like in the, in the broad Torah pursuit movement, we have a lot of people that think that they're surgeons and they're bludgeoning people. See, and, and the scars remain visible. At any point. So this thing about iron sharpens iron, it goes on to say, Rabbi, a lot of matters compared to fire. It to tell you that just fire 
does not ignite in a lone stick of wood in a pile of kindling. So too matters of Torah are not retained and understood properly by a lone scholar, one who studies by himself, but by a group of sages. I, I know, I knew this a couple days ago when I, I knew I wanted to talk about this. I know that I'm going to get some pushback from this. And, and I'm, I don't mean to be negative in talking about the, the Hebrew Roots movement and, and all of these things. I know, and let me just talk to you for a second, because I know some of you are offended or, or might be, have your feelings hurt, and I don't want to do that. I know that there are those of you out there that, that genuinely and, and your intention, your covenant is correct, and you, you're learning and you're growing and you're changing and you're, you're, you're not out to hurt anybody. I get that. I understand. This is not directed at you. I want you to understand. If, if, if you say, well, that doesn't sound like me, then it's probably not you. But you also can't deny and you can't not look around and see that there's some major trouble in this, in what God is trying to do. We've splintered and separated. We're all over the place. And by any means, I'm not asking anybody to listen to me and be conformed to the way I think about things. Don't do that. Listen to the Jewish people and be conformed to the way they think about things. That, we all need to head that direction. Again, a couple of people that, if I said their names, you'd know that I've talked to the last couple of weeks that at one time, five years ago, their calendar, teaching calendars, their te- Hebrew Roots teachers, they, they, had, they were teaching every week, every week, every, all across the country. They were being flown all over the country and, and just conferences and fellowships and just all over the place. Now, they can't beg for somewhere to teach. And it's not because of COVID. It's because there's nowhere to teach. There's no, this is not a thing. This is not a thing nationally. And so our goal is supposed to make the Jewish people jealous or fervent, however you, you read that you read that thing. How are we doing? Not to they're going like, holy cow, we don't want any part of that. There is an, an, a, a modern rabbinic exception to this not studying Torah by yourself. And the exception is, it's okay to study Torah by yourself because of technology. You have access to every opinion around a scripture that ever existed. Because you have access to it, and things like Logos and you know, Google, you have every, you have access to the dissenting opinions. So it's hard for you to get stuck in one train of thought, right? There's an accountability and a balance there. That's the rabbinic uh, ruling. I personally, I understand and I get it, I still think it's important to study together, to talk to one another, to do what we do in Oneg. And to discuss scripture, to see someone's face, to see their eyes, to see their disposition, see how, how when you say something, how it changes their body language. Because we're all opinionated, we all have our thing, and you know how easy it is for you to get off in a, in a thing. You start studying the feast, and all of a sudden, now you're studying the calendar. And now all of a sudden, you become like a minor astronomer. And you know the degrees of illumination and the axis and the tilt and the, the angle of the dangle and all. Like, I, what? Am, 
And then it's almost not about Torah anymore. It's not about it's it's not about covenant. It's not about image bearing. It's not about that at all. And when somebody comes back and goes like, "Hey, what, like, what about this?" Ah, blah. Gotta be. We get all militant and all belligerent. And the further, the more alone we stay, and the further we go down our little particular rabbit trail, whatever that is, and I have mine too. I could just, I could just temple all day long, all day, every day, all just, just constantly. I don't need to eat. I'm studying the temple. I could just do that all day. And one of the people that I was talking to, very good wisdom, said, "Not a lot of people care." And I was like, "What?" Well, it's my thing, though. Maybe I can help them. And she was like, no. Sorry, they don't care. It's not helpful for most people. <laughs> but see, I need... Sounds like who? It sounds... And so you see, I need that... Uh, I need that pull, right? In order, because what... Because the person that told me that, they're interested in my conformity to the image of God, not to being a this or a that. To the image of God. Torah was given to community and is intended to be learned and lived in community. Learned and lived in community. I know that some of you that 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 study and you want to be really strict about tell me exactly what this commandment means. How exactly what it means. What did it mean then? And what did it, what is it, how does it, we do it now? I want to know exactly. And I appreciate that level of passion. But I also understand there's a real world out there. And you know what? We have this fixation with the Torah and stuff. We have this thing that older and more original is truer and better. I have that fixation. Can I tell you that's not the case? We talked about gardening because we're talking about agriculture and stuff. How many of you remember the way your grandparents did a garden? I remember we, my, my grandparents had this single spade plow with a big metal wheel on the front and the wooden handles. Nothing pulled it. They pushed it through the ground. Right? Well... We've got a family member that we, he lets us borrow. He's got a little like 30 horse tractor with a four foot tiller on the back, PTO tiller. Which one is better? For my money, I'm filling that sucker with diesel and I'm letting the black smoke run when I plow my garden. The older, we can appreciate the older for what it is. But it doesn't mean that the ancient ways the ancient ways of doing Torah are better. If there's anything that the Jewish people have taught us, uh, the, in, the reason that Torah has survived is because of that very understanding. The people in Israel today don't do Torah the way it was done in Israel in its inception. Because it's not, we don't live in an ancient world. And our own Bible shows us that these things change through time. The Judaism of Israel in the desert or the religion of Israel in the desert is not King David's Israelite religion. The, 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 the religion of the, uh, the Maccabees is not King David's Judaism. The, the Judaism of the first century is not the Judaism of the Maccabees. 
the Judaism of today is not those of the of those in the first century of the Pharisees in the first century but if things don't update they die and so our fixation would like oh how was the moon sighted in the tabernacle well first of all who knows I know somebody does I'm sorry I'm sorry somebody does I'm sorry How, how did they do it in the tabernacle? I want to know that stuff. That's my personal thing. Like, I want to know. Antiquity is very important to me. And yet, it's good to know. But then we have to update or else it dies. It dies along the way in transportation. So Shavuot, the giving of the Torah. I want to read one more, one more verse real quick and then we'll wrap up. Because, man, I didn't mean to talk this long. Do we have anybody watching? <laughs> Yikes. No. Okay. That's cool. I'm just making sure you remember. Uh, that's it. Acts 2 and Pentecost, the giving of the Spirit, is the anniversary of Shavuot, of, of the giving of the Torah. And of course, there's a lot, again, we could talk about that. We talk about the parallels between the original Shavuot, the giving of Torah on Sinai, and the giving of the Spirit. There's all these parallels and all, I mean, all this really, really cool stuff. We've talked about some of it in the, in the past. But this is what I want to I read. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. That's the lesson of Shavuot. It's not tongues of fire the lesson of Shavuot is they were all together in one place the same way that they got the commandments in the beginning and became a nation and and betrothed themselves to God is the same way that they were restored again after Messiah's resurrection they all came together now could God have filled 120 individual Jews with his spirit yeah in the living room sat back on the couch fishing whatever in the market just all of a sudden hey whoa hi yeah and speaking in tongues and everybody in the market would have been amazed everybody on that particular beach shore would have been amazed holy smokes what's happening what did he do though everybody came together they were in community they were already doing community they were doing the thing they were together have you ever and i, I don't want to like pick out anybody have you ever been in a, those of you that like a Baptist stuff, you have no idea what I'm talking about, go ahead and prepare for Oneg. But um, no, for those of you that have been in like assembly, Pentecostal, spirit, you know, charismania, charismatic, excuse me, um, <laughs> services. Um, <laughs> you ever been in one of those services where it's just out of control? I mean, r- really. Like, it's the spirit. No, it's just out of control. Nobody has a handle on it. The pastor can't say anything. Everything's wacky how quickly that goes from like oh it's a service everybody knows what's going on we're worshiping together to holy cow what's going on and people the people that are not under the influence are scared out of their gourd little children are hiding under the pew and all all that kind of stuff you've never been in one of those it's interesting so imagine in acts 2 imagine one gets gets baptized in the spirit over here one gets baptized in the spirit over here one gets baptized in the spirit over here it's pandemonium 
they're together because in that togetherness is restraint and is unity and it's not it's 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 I check you and you check me and we we have a sense of of community and of togetherness and safety and we rely on each other and we rest on each other and we we preserve each other and we protect each other it's why my wife from the back is so impo- I don't listen to what she says most of the time but her faces are very positive Miss Janice nudges Mike a lot y'all may not see it but I see it I see Sylvia reach under and grab Brady's hand every once in a while and though that's community and what needs to happen is that that needs to be the way we act with each other <laughs> where I can look at I can look at one of you and go like <laughs> because like we have a baseball sign or something like I, we have a safe word because here's I may know somebody's issue that you don't know or you may know somebody's issue that I don't know and here I am I'm about to run right through it and make a big old mess and we need like a you know a whatever a something a sign hey stop I am let me conclude this by saying I am so thankful that that you guys come every week that you you are committed to being open to learning not only from me but from each other that's really what this is all about to those of you online that that watch every week and probably less now but (laughs) and and find a home here i i'm so encouraged by by that and i'm please understand i'm not saying don't study for yourself and just believe what the rabbi says not what i'm saying but what i what i'm i'm saying is that we have to we have to come together and we have to be willing to be a part of the bigger the bigger picture even if that means laying down some of our militant beliefs and some of those things we have to be a part of the king of the community the mission of the as well. i'm still going to have my quirks and i'm going to be happy with them but i promise never to put those on you have quirks have your intricate little weird ways you see scripture that's what makes this beautiful dynamic just study with them and we're good like it works for you cool work it just leave that knife in its sheath and we'll be all right um, I love and appreciate you all, you all very, very much. Those of you online, very, very, very much. Um, I hope I didn't, you know, detrimentally offend anybody. It's not my intention. Um, but the Jewish people have it right here, period, full stop. They have it right that there's safety in community. There's wisdom in counsel, in the multitude of counsel. And, um, and if we are going, if we're going to help Hashem preserve this, this Gentile movement into Torah pursuance that He's begun... It's going to take us changing the way we've done it a little bit. And I want to see that happen. I want to see that happen. I want, I want the work that Hashem is doing. I want it to be respected by the Jewish people. I want it to be respected by, 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 so that we can come together so that restoration can happen. And man, we're just making it really hard for that to be the case. And I want this to be salvaged. I want, I want God's plan to, to, to come through to fruition. Because you know what? I don't want to abort this move of God and then make it that much harder on my kids. And them look back and go, well, if mom and dad could have just been a little less militant and a little more understanding, a little more compassionate, a little more accepting, maybe we'd be a generation ahead. Well, Father, thank you for your presence and your spirit. Thank you for your wisdom. I pray, Father, that your wisdom continues to guide us and, and lead us. And again, I, I, I'm so 
I'm so hesitant to say some of these things sometimes because I don't want to offend and I don't want to, uh, I don't want to make anybody feel like I'm singling anyone out and I don't want to be overly negative. But Father, I want to be realistic and, and this, this gift that you've given us is so, it's the pearl of great price. It's, it's so incredibly important, invaluable and we love and honor you for taking us that we're just on our merry way and showing us your commandments and showing us your, your Messiah in his, in, 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 for who he really was. And Father, that's just too great of a thing to lose. It's too great of a thing to be defiled by argument and dissension and, and, and attitude and hypocrisy and, and isolation and division and, and disunity. It's too great of a thing. So Father, we seek to, to preserve and to protect the, the, the thing that you're doing, the, the movement that you're calling. And Father, I, I pray that you revive the, 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 the love for you and your people and, and the love for each other. Help us to be people of submission to one another and, and, and to, to Israel, to the Jewish people. And Father, as we celebrate this Shavuot, I pray that it's when we recognize the beauty of, of image bearing in, in together with each other. That maybe those that have never celebrated with somebody before maybe maybe this would be the time they go you know what i'm just gonna i'm gonna find a place and go celebrate with people and being together and loving each other and learning and teaching and so we we pray father for uh, a wonderful week for our live stream audience and we pray your richest blessings on those that um that are so faithful to be with us and support uh and to give financially and all those different things um we love you and we bless you through yeshua our messiah And everybody said, Amen. Amen.